Good morning and welcome. This is Jennifer Bukowski sitting in for the one and only Gary Nolan, my good friend, here today, 573-874-9390 to join the show. Text or call me at that number. And I've got a great show lined up for you guys today. I'm so pleased to say that my friend and hero, quite frankly, Yasmin Mohammed, an ex-Muslim who has been on top of this issue of hijabs and um, calling out for people to support the women that are risking their lives over in the Middle East to defy these laws, this gender apartheid that's going on in these Muslim-majority countries uh, where women are beaten and um, basically enslaved and mutilated and uh, forced to cover up. She has been on top of this and calling out for people in the West to not be supporting these regimes that inflict these on people. And she's going to come on the show in the 10 o'clock hour to explain what's the deal with hijabs and why are women in Iran risking their lives to burn them. Also, as I mentioned to Brandon, uh, who just I just took over from, uh, love Brandon Rathard, the two people I know, the longtime marijuana uh, legalization advocates that I know here in Missouri, Dan Veeds and Ethan Thampy, are all of a sudden completely opposed to each other on Constitutional Amendment 3, which is on our ballot. So I am going to ask them why in the 11 o'clock hour. But until then, we get to discuss all the news of the day. And you know what? Brian Hansen's here, of course. Couldn't do this without him. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. How are you today? <laughs> Great. Well, last night, I'm prepping for the show, and I open up Daily Mail, ranked right on the top of the homepage, is this headline. Ranked. St. Louis, Fort Lauderdale, and San Bernardino are rated as America's most unsafe city on scale of crimes, car crashes, disasters, joblessness, and more. Want better? Move to Columbia, Maryland. <laughs> I had to do a double take on yeah. that. I'm like, I am from St. Louis and I moved to Columbia, Missouri. Actually, our luggage, because MD looks similar to MO, right, yeah. our, our last luggage got sent to Columbia, Maryland Oops. one time. Yep. Look at that. A little, look at the zip luggage handlers. So it took us a while for them to ship it to us. But yes, so we're tapping the list again, St. Louis. Not only it seems that, like they just dropped out of that uh crime list i thought that uh, finally they were overtaken by chicago or something as the most nope, dangerous we're number city. one huh. we're number one wow. then i opened fox news and <laughs> it says oh gosh i gotta pull up this headline it says missouri hold on missouri woman in dog collar escapes captivity has been repeatedly raped by kidnapper Oh, yeah. Missouri is oh, making wow. the news nationally for the wrong reasons again. Kind of embarrassing. But that is just a horrible story. This woman in near the Kansas City area was allegedly held and raped and kidnapped and, you know, subjected to whippings and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and for over a month and finally escaped when this man allegedly took his kid to school. She escaped this and they had to cut this metal collar that was secured by a lock off of her because it was restricting her breathing. Unbelievable. She is malnourished. Is he in custody? Yes, and he's Good. asked for a public defender. You know, being a criminal defense attorney, a lot of times I see stories like this and I feel sorry for the criminal <laughs> yes, defense the attorneys because I'm like, represent him. Oh, there's no such thing as a motion to change the facts. Oh, man. And that's sometimes all that. what the client really needs to get out of the pickle they're in. There's only so much you can do as the attorney. You can't go back in time and change. Right. The facts of the case. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, that has got to be difficult. When the facts when are so bad. Across your desk. That's going to make like, your job. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to make your job a lot harder. Oh my gosh. But, you know, with the situations like that, everyone's entitled to be presumed innocent. We don't know. There could have been some sort of weird consensual thing going on. But uh, that is going to be an uphill battle for any criminal defense attorney to have a case that's re- making national headlines like that because then the prosecutors are all gung ho on it, is what I've noticed takes place so in any event we have those but on a brighter note so we've been talking nuclear war and this is my brighter note here nuclear war but reason magazine had this piece that i thought was worth pointing out putin have you panicked you can survive a nuclear exchange politicians have turned the unthinkable into a real threat for which you should prepare and while it's it it's by J.D. Tusil, and he says, while it's possible to ignore overseas horrors so long as they stay distant, that's increasingly diff- difficult with the war in Ukraine. Not only is the conflict worsening conditions in a world already damaged by pandemic responses, but Russia's President Vladimir Putin threatens nuclear escalation, and U.S. President Joe Biden warns of resulting, quote, Armageddon. It's a grim reminder that government power enables ambitious individuals to put millions of lives at risk, And it's a heads up to us as individuals do what we can to preserve ourselves, our families and our communities if the situation gets even worse. So it goes on about, you know, the escalating situation. But it's a misconception that there's nothing you can do if this does escalate to nuclear war and that we all will die. It's a small likelihood that this happens, but it is survivable. You can stay inside. And uh, there's physical copies of the most recent edition of Nuclear War Survival Skills are available for purchase, but the PDF of the 1979 original can be downloaded for free from the Oak Ridge National Library. And here's the thing. You can prepare for this. You need to have food. You need to get inside and stay inside. Move to the lowest or most interior portion of the building if possible. Fallout is a concern specific to nuclear attack, but the dangers rapidly decline even in the worst affected areas. Within two weeks after an attack, the occupants of most shelters could safely stop using them or could work outside the shelters for an increasing number of hours each day. Did you know that? I had no idea. Yeah, so you don't have to like live, like they show in the movies, you don't have to like live for years underground or on the moon or wherever else, uh, you know, the dystopian novels and uh, TV shows put humanity after a nuclear war. You just have to stay inside a couple of weeks, which we've all had a little bit of practice doing here lately, haven't we? Yeah, we have. I mean, kind of been conditioned for that. You don't have to duct tape your windows or anything like that. or Yeah, but you do need to prepare. Like last time, no one had toilet paper stocked up at all. <laughs> Everyone yeah, what was that all about that? anyway? Do you and, remember that going back to the pandemic yeah, when it first hit and there's a run on toilet paper? Right. And I, I had no idea what COVID was at the time. It's like, what does it give you, diarrhea? <laughs> that <laughs> was the first does. thing, yeah, because but... why is everybody going after toilet paper? This, the aisles were gone. We fortunately had plenty, but... I think it's that was psychological, because it felt like things were outside of your control, and that was something that you could go and buy to Yeah, but I mean, toilet paper is the... not one of the first things I think about, because you have, you know, paper towels if you had to. You got... You know, rags. You got other stuff. I don't. I toilet mean, paper is pretty important to me, it, Brian. It is, pretty but I mean, important. it's generally kept, and you have plenty usually, right? I mean, for for me, it would be food. 
Well, I, I think mean, both are important. That's to the have. first thing that I thought about. It's like, oh boy, do we have? Yeah, we got like two weeks. If you know, but that's it. Uh, yeah, I will not feel sorry for people that run out of toilet paper if there is a next time because you've been warned and there's plenty of toilet paper in the store. It doesn't go bad. <laughs> Get yourself some extra packs. You can stock it underneath their sinks throughout your house and have quite a big stockpile, even if you're limited on storage space. So no excuses, people. Get the toilet paper while you can. But more importantly for this nuclear situation or other disasters that may occur, it's important to be prepared because you shouldn't be like, Going out on the roads or whatever, that's where it's going to be dangerous. Um, even with hurricanes, you see s- supermarkets strip bare of food and water. So having an emergency preparedness kit at all times is imperative if you want to survive a situation like this. So you can put away some food put so that you can stay inside a couple of weeks. And it won't be the end of the world for you if, we, if the worst does happen. But here's a... On on a lesser note, I thought, hey, living in the middle of Missouri is pretty good because, you know, they'll hit the big cities. Actually, this article says that that is a misconception. They would save their valuable nukes to hit military targets. And we've got two military bases here in Missouri. So I'm like, oh, man, darn. Did you know that? I, I did. Yeah. I thought I assumed they'd just hit New York and DC, and so we're far from them. And uh, no, they would actually try to take out our. I'm sure they would capabilities. Yeah. Right. I'm sure that they are well prepared for any eventuality like that. You know, we probably have Patriot missile batteries that are surrounding military bases, and a lot of classified stuff that you know, me and you and the general public don't know as far as. You know, if you were going to want to attack these bases, don't you think that they would have some type of security already in place in the event of something like you're describing? One would hope. One would certainly hope. But, you know, my confidence in all levels of government has been eroded even more lately. that is true. Uh, How about you guys? Biden administration, take those things down. We don't need those. (laughs) Yeah. So are you prepared... And do you believe that this claim in this reason article that you can just stay inside a couple of weeks and be fine? And uh, how are we going to do in mid-Missouri having two military bases? If you have thoughts, text me or call me 573-874-9390. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Don't go away. We're uh, listening to The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. And we're back on The Gary Nolan Show. It's Jennifer Bukowski sitting in for the one, the only Gary Nolan. And I've got some more good news. Just hit my email inbox from the Show Me Institute. Dear Jennifer, I'm emailing you to celebrate a victory we can all be proud of. On October 5th, 2022, Missouri's governor signed into law a major cut to our individual income tax rate. We will go from a top tax rate of 5.3% for this year to a top rate of 4.9% beginning in 2023. The details of the cut reflect recommendations Institute scholars like Aaron Headland, who will join us on Friday, actually, made throughout the summer showing the impact of our advocacy. In addition to dropping the top rate to 4.9% next year, if certain triggers are met, the rate will continue to ratchet down with a floor of 4.5%. The bill also includes an exemption for the first $1,000 of a taxpayer's income from taxation. All in all, a good result for Missourians, a tax cut for everyone. That's that's good news, you know, and it's the culmination really of years and years of work 
And I am grateful for Rex and Jeannie Sinkfeld because, you know, Brian, like you see other super successful Missourians that go off to California and make tons of money. They never come back. Mm-hmm. Right. Walt Disney never came back. Jack Dorsey has not come back uh, from Missouri. The Sinkfelds could have kept their money and stayed and lived with their wealth in California and not right. dealt with all the vitriol and the haters. But instead, Rex Sinkfeld, who was raised in a St. Louis orphanage of all places, decides to come back, bring his wealth. And he and Jeannie have spent their time and all their treasure, or not all their treasure, but their time and huge amounts of treasure trying to make Missouri a better place. They donate to all kinds of charities. And yes, they do. They get nothing but hate for it sometimes, and people are so ungrateful for it, I feel like. But through all kinds of methods, if you think about it, through donating to charities, to creating organizations like the Show Me Institute, World Chess um, Headquarters, the you know the Composition School at the University of Missouri, all kinds of things. But through that, through donating to you know like-minded politicians that will be fiscally responsible, uh, they hire fleets of lobbyists to push for policies that will nudge Missouri towards a path of future prosperity and growth. It's, you know, it's if, amazing. Uh, and this is like a culmination, like finally getting some tax cuts, which we have more work to do, but it's a culmination of years and years of efforts by them. And bravo to them, to the governor, Governor Parson, for listening to them and all the legislators that listen to them. I hope they keep listening to them. If uh, I could get any wish that I could get for the state of Missouri, I wish we could eliminate the personal property tax. That is just the most stupid bill that comes to, at the worst possible time, and we're paying on things that we already own. Well, how did that ever come to be? I mean, and I, I say this all the time, people probably get sick of hearing it, but if we were to send out a form to individuals telling people to list the appliances that they own in their home, they would say, that's ridiculous. How could you tax us on things we've already purchased? Well, we're doing it now. Right. And we just can't wake up from this dream. On How is this that don't possible? appreciate in value. Yeah, like real, the real estate taxes, like that is actually something that's used by successful states like Tennessee and Texas to pay for their government. So that, even though it's frustrating and that also comes at a terrible time, right? At Christmas, you have to pay, yes. you know, to rent property you already own outright. And the newer the vehicle, the more it's going to cost you. Right. And it really is a barrier for like uh, poor people to participate in the economy and work because right. it's not nothing to get your insurance. You have to have insurance. You have to have a vehicle to get around most places in Missouri. And a lot of families like there's one, maybe one used vehicle in a group of like 12 people that they use to get around. And it's hard for them to get to work or to have job opportunities. And the government's making it cost more through taxes like that. Right. They can't keep their car registration valid because they don't have that big chunk of money right when they're needed. Like they might get a big chunk of money when they get their tax refund check, but that's a few months later than right. when the tax bill is due every year. So, And I guess the people arguing for the personal property tax will like, we have to have it because there's no other way to pay for the schools. And it's like, well, there are other states, many states that don't have a personal property tax and they have a consumption tax, for example, mm -hmm. and they're fine. Right. But we just can't seem us. to make that 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 step. Right. Instead, yeah. we you know wait till December. Hey, here's your bill. Merry Christmas. 
it's ridiculous. Right. And Tennessee is growing like gangbusters. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they have a sales tax, which is like at or lower the Missouri sales taxes, depending on where you are in the state. So, but they're doing something right. Like, how do they do it? I don't know. But if we could keep ratcheting down that state income tax, you would have more companies like they do now for Tennessee and Texas and Florida moving here. Because if you're going to decide to flee Chicago or flee California and bring jobs with you and build your business somewhere, you're not going to pick a state that has a state income tax. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me that you would do that. And so it's really a competitive disadvantage to Missouri that we still have that, plus every other kind of tax that you can possibly imagine. But it's great to have smart people like those at the Show Me Institute that are writing good policy papers and explaining this to legislators and doing the hard work, the math work, the research, and building that credibility with the lawmakers to get results, you know, and just every step forward is so hard, but um, it's it's. Bravo to those who keep plugging away and doing it because it would be easier to just flee and go to a state that doesn't have a state income tax. But instead, the Sinkfelds moved back to Missouri to help our state. And I'm really grateful for them. They're the most generous people I know. Like, it's incredible. Great leadership by them. So kudos to them for that. And kudos to Governor Parson and the legislators for finally listening to them. I hope they continue to listen. I'm sure they will. Well, I'm not sure of that, actually. But <laughs> the, the governor and the legislators will continue to listen to sanity and sound fiscal policy from the Show Me Institute. But I certainly hope that that's the case. Actually, I'm full disclosure, I'm on the board of directors for the Show Me Institute. We have our quarterly board meeting tomorrow, which is why I'm not able to sit in for Gary tomorrow, which is a bummer. I'll be in St. Louis Dave Rowland will be here, and I think we will have our usual Thursday Show Me Institute guest at uh, like 5 after 10. And who else is on the Think Tank Thursday tomorrow? Oh, we have a full boat of guests. I'm not sure if Kevin's going to be with us because he's got some other stuff going on, but uh, Jim Babcock from Downsize DC, Show Me Institute, the RNC. Uh, we will have um, Ron Calzone. And then uh, at the 11 o'clock hour, Dave has got some uh, special guests, I think, lined up. We're still putting the show together, so... That's going to happen tomorrow, I'm starting sure at 9 with Dave Rowland yeah, from the Freedom Center. Worth tuning in for that, for sure. Okay, so I'm doing more show prep. There's all kinds of other issues going on. New York Times has a piece, is Ron DeSantis as strong a potential candidate as he seems? They've got some interesting um, points that they make in that piece about when politicians peak and who ends up being the nominee. We've got some abortion topics. Stacey Abram, this, there is a clip of her saying something on abortion. And uh, Rep. Representative Cory Bush was here in Columbia recently um, talking about this very topic. We have updates from Iran. And I've got things to say, believe it or not. And I can't believe Gary's not here to hear it about Meghan Markle and the Royals. I'm sure he's really disappointed yeah. in the fact that he... More thoughts on me, <laughs> thanks to my Anglophile session with those royals that I don't completely understand about myself, but can't wait to be back in just a few minutes on the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show.
And we're back on the Gary Nolan Show. It's Jennifer Bukowski sitting in today. And we were talking last segment about this reason piece about the survivability of nuclear war. And we got some text. Listener David says, Whiteman Air Force Base is about 80 miles from Columbia. These nukes are very powerful, but not as powerful as you might think. If that base was hit by a three megaton nuke, the blast would reach about a five to ten radius around Sedalia. Would not even get close to Columbia. Radiation from the jet stream in the air would be what you should worry about. Three megatons is huge compared to the bombs we dropped in World War II. Like 30 times more powerful, but still it's not like it would destroy the entire state. More like a 10 mile radius around the blast. That makes me feel a bit better. It would also give us a break from arguing where everyone should go to the bathroom, too, if that were to occur, right? <laughs> well, when I was a, a kid in school, human. if we were under a bomb threat, we'd just go to the basement of the school and put our heads on top of our... Uh, You're old enough to have, like, done that. And get under your, your, our desks, and we'd be perfectly safe. <laughs> oh, my God. You guys should be older than you look, Brian, because yeah, that's, like, kinda. something my parents would say that they did back in the day. Yeah. I mean, that was the... That's how they... They didn't even have fire alarms in my school. They blew one of those uh, air horns in order to notify you that uh, this is a, you know, there's a fire somewhere or this is a drill. They huh. didn't have the typical pull the uh, pull the handle fire alarms. <laughs> yeah. But well, yeah, nowadays, I remember like going getting and putting your Putting your hands on your head and getting under your desk. I remember it. But if you want to continue to survive, and all the you need to be able to stay inside around. a couple of weeks. So have food in your house yep. and water, you know, uh, <laughs> bottled water and all that ready to go just in case. I would definitely recommend that um, be the case. Stacey Abrams is uh, making the news with some comments on abortion we're going to get into uh, next. Uh, but in the meantime, do we have a caller, Brian? Bear with us here. He's uh, running the show, pushing all the buttons here. Brian Hansen, making the wheels of the eagle turn. Well, he has. We have a clip, but she kind of makes a fair point. I'm no Stacey Abrams fan, but the point she makes is somewhat fair about abortion, and we're going to play that for you in just a second. In the meantime, do we have a caller? Um, line one, John. Welcome to the Gary Nolan Show. Hey, I appreciate that, but do you guys remember all the nukes that we had here in mid-Missouri? There were like 18 silos, and you could go down Highway 5 and because uh, I played golf in Tipton, but I'm like going, dude, and people go, oh, my God, why is that grain silo sitting in the middle of a field? I'm like, that's not a grain silo. That's water to keep the missiles clean, and they're like, they thought I was nuts, but I'm like going, no. I mean, it was real. So you can go back and look at that. But you're talking about nuclear Armageddon or whatever. But let's keep know. this on the so. download, John, because apparently they want to target wherever those things are. So that, that was in Illinois. You saw that, right? Yeah. Not not here in Missouri, right? <laughs> Just I kidding. hear you on that one. Well, it's not <laughs> Kansas either. So there you go. So right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of those All states. Right. One of our eight border states. That's where you saw that. Love your show. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks so much for the call. All right, so Stacey Abrams, here's a clip that she just weighed in on abortion, and she does make a somewhat fair point in part. Go ahead and play that clip. Free to become governor, where would you draw the line? 15 weeks, viability, 36 weeks, 
What's the limit? What I've always said is that abortion is a medical decision that should be made by a doctor and the woman, and that the point of viability as determined by a doctor should always take into consideration the life and health of a woman. That should be the standard. But the arbitrary standards of timelines ignore the medical reality that it is a fallacy. We know exactly when a pregnancy starts, that we know exactly where we are in the system, I mean, in in the term. And what doctors will tell you is that they need to make decisions based on the woman they are treating. And what women will tell you is that they need the right to make medical decisions that can save their lives and save their ability to control their bodies and their futures. Well, the fair point that I think she makes there, and I might get in trouble here with some people at home, but it's kind of true that we don't always know exactly how many weeks pregnant people are, women are. Like, you're supposed to count from the first day of your last menstrual period, but you can conceive within a couple-day window. And so it's always interesting to me when the lawmakers make these things with the hard cutoffs at like six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, because there's kind of some wiggle room in like when you say your date of your last period was and so forth for the calculation of that timetable. So maybe things like heartbeat and so forth would be a more objective way to measure that or a more accurate way to measure how far along a baby is in the womb what do you think brian yeah i think uh for the longest time we've never really established a timeline as far as you know but we do like all these laws that you see passed they're like well six weeks or 12 weeks and in europe it's similar like they count on weeks but we kind of ignore the fact that you're self-reporting the date of your last the first day of your last period which you don't always remember unless you're like meticulous and keeping track of that stuff and it's not always like very clear and so it's kind of uh it's kind of great it's not like you can say okay well this is day seven of the six weeks so now it's illegal after this to get an abortion there's always like a little bit of wiggle room yeah it's uh it's kind of a difficult thing to figure out and put your finger on exactly when you know the counting period started i mean let's assume a you know, underage kid uh, gets pregnant, God forbid. But it happens, you know, a 14-year-old, and she doesn't tell her parents. And all of a sudden, you know, she has this baby coming along, and she didn't even bother counting. Yeah. That or kind of thing happens. Or a 30-year-old. Like, yeah. yeah. That kind of thing happens. And I don't know. It's uh, something that... Especially when it's unplanned. Yeah. Right. So... Speaking of planned and unplanned, Planned Parenthood, which of all the services they offer, <laughs> parenthood isn't a choice. It should be called no parenthood because if you want to abort a baby or prevent getting pregnant, they've got you covered. But if you actually want to have a baby, they do not offer the services of like checkups for the wellness of a pregnancy and the delivery of babies. So should be called No Parenthood, but they got in a little hot water. We didn't get to this clip yesterday, but they have an ad that they have posted. Do you have that clip, Brian? Let's play that clip. You may find that your puberty experiences don't line up with your gender identity or how you see yourself. That feeling can be uncomfortable, scary, and stressful. If that sounds like you, know that you're not alone. There are medicines you can take to delay puberty for a while. They're called puberty blockers, and they work like a stop sign by halting the hormones testosterone and estrogen that cause puberty changes like facial hair growth and periods. Puberty blockers are safe and can give you more time to figure out what feels right for you, your body, and your gender identity. 
Wow. I don't even know what to say about that. This is being marketed towards children. That you might not be ready for your gender to happen. And that that is an open question mark. And that puberty blockers are safe? Oh, safe and effective, yes. Oh, it's all based on science, right? Uh Uh-huh. I, the, here's the thing about uh, trans, uh, this trans situation that mystifies me. I see the statistics on the suicide rates, the highest suicide rates for trans people. And it makes one wonder if someone is trying to decide whether or not they're trans, why that isn't taken into account more in perhaps getting them to decide that they're not trans to begin with. Because if they are, in fact, that, then they're going to be at a much higher risk of suicide. And maybe if they're counseled to try to, you know, accept themselves and their body the way that they were born, they would be at a less risk of suicide. But it seems like there are people, advocates, that just want to push the, these confused young people in only one direction and yeah, not they skip slow the, things they skip down the a counselor bit. and go straight to surgery. Yeah. And it's like that. Or, it's just so wrong. And block puberty? Like, I, I can't even imagine how that wouldn't affect your, like, development, your height, all these things, like, that would be permanent to your body. And we don't let kids decide to smoke, you know, buy cigarettes. We don't let them uh, text while drive until they're 21, but we're going to let them lop things off when they're minors and decide against their parents' wishes in some cases to do that. Does that make any sense? Like, there's such a cognitive dissonance on the left about that. On the one hand, they can't be held responsible for all these other things, and they can't make these decisions, except when it comes to, like, having an abortion with other parents or getting body parts lopped off and puberty blockers and so on and so forth. And that's the thing that's scary about Planned Parenthood pushing this uh, gender change thing now, because... They've always been, you know, the option for kids to go and get birth control pills or whatever without their parents knowing about it. And now are they going to be the place where you can go and change your gender without your parents knowing about it, too? That is uh, troubling to me because I think that it's like kind of a mass psychosis situation happening where a lot of people who might just be gay or something are being pushed into being trans. And I, I really... I'm worried when I see a, an organization as powerful and with the resources that Planned Parenthood had to get on board with pushing this stuff. Uh, let me know if you have any thoughts on this, 573-874-9390. And coming up at the 10 o'clock hour, a hero of mine, Yasmin Mohammed, an ex-Muslim, will be talking about the hijab, why we should care and what we should do to support people who are oppressed. That's coming up on The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. Welcome back to The Gary Nolan Show. It's Jennifer Bukowski sitting in. I'm getting excited because Yasmin Mohammed will soon join me. And it's a perilous time in the world. But one event that's unfolding gives me some hope. Iran, the people are rising up against their dictatorship over there. And taking in a country where the three tenants are, you know, Dati to the U.S., that's what this regime, the Ayatollah, stands for. Death to the U.S., death to Israel, and compulsory hijab. The people seem to be fed up with that. They're taking out that hijab pillar of those three planks, and hopefully the others fall with that, and we can bring them back to, you know, 20, you know, to the 21st, I mean, 21st century. <laughs> but in 1979, they were very westernized, and then they had this revolution, and they became a theocracy and extremely repressive to 
towards their people, especially women. They have a gender apartheid over there. And when Masha, Masa Amini was brutally killed by the morality police for not having her hijab totally on, just part of her hair was showing, they detained her, beat her to death. The people started protesting. And then since then, 185 people have been killed by uh, forces, Iranian authorities cracking down on the protesters. And another, a 16-year-old, Serena Esmael Zadeh, was also brutally murdered by these morality police, even though the Iranian authorities want to pretend that she died by suicide by jumping off a roof, but she was beaten and arrested by those same morality police. Can you imagine, like, men going around beating women up because they don't have their scarf on right? Just like, that's their job? Can't believe that. You know, it's it's just it's a regular thing over in places like what Saudi Arabia, Iran. Right. I mean, I, women can't drive over there. At least they didn't used to be able to. Well, Saudi Arabia is finally in some situations, if they have permission from their, you know, guardian, which is basically their male owner, be it their husband, their brother, their father. Did you say male get, owner? Yeah. <laughs> like, they all have a guardian. They get to so decide wrong. everything about their lives, whether they can leave the house, whether they can, you know, get a passport. Uh, if you are abused by your husband and flee, you get to go to jail until he decides to pick you up from jail. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, a man in uh, this and I've even heard that Muslim face women that are raped are sometimes convicted of the crime that is perpetrated on them. Right. And forced to marry their rapist because no one else would want oh, them now. It's just unbelievable. So they how can just upside keep down is this world? Men can divorce a woman. The man, husband can divorce the wife by saying, I divorce you three times under Sharia law. Women have no such right. And here's, so I just reread in one sitting Yasmin Mohammed's excellent book, Unveiled, how Western liberals are empowering radical Islam. And she has a fascinating backstory. She was raised in Canada, but in this fundamentalist Islamic faith and very um, abused. Uh, throughout her life but eventually goes on to escape but not before she's forcibly married to a man who turns out to be an al-qaeda terrorist that was a you know a henchman for osama bin laden isn't that unbelievable she uh eventually escapes this life thanks to living in canada in part she's able to like get student loans and go to school and she's since then you know she teaches college courses she's uh an incredible advocate for speaking out and she's been keeping track very closely of these brave women in the Middle East who have been defying these laws where you can't drive, who have been defying laws saying you have to wear the hijab all the time and because they really put their neck on the line to defy those laws and to do those protests and when she was going through all this she thought she was the only one that was like questioning whether or not she should be in the Islamic faith and uh, thinking that she was the only one that felt this way, and she didn't have social media, but she encourages, and women actually are in their tradition or whatever, end up helping their oppressors oppress each other, but social media is starting to change that, and you're seeing more and more women support each other and um, help each other be brave to push back against this 
gender apartheid that's happening. So I am so excited to have her on uh, right after the top of the hour because I've been following her carefully. She also has this really cool podcast, Forgotten Feminists, where each episode she interviews a woman that has like escaped these oppressive circumstances. And the stories that these women have are just unbelievable. When you think about women in the West and what we whine about, oh, setting the air conditioner at 72 is sexist and based on sexist studies and like just the nonsense that uh, we whine and complain about instead of focusing on actually helping give a hand up to women that are completely oppressed and just ignoring them. It's just mind boggling. And also this Western do-gooders habit of like celebrating the hijab is actually exacerbating the situation. Yasmin has a message about that. So there's no better person to ask about the burning of hijabs and what it means in Iran than Yasmin Mohammed, and she'll be joining us. And I can't wait for that. In the meantime, another federal judge has joined a boycott on, highly, on hiring Yale School law clerks over the plague of cancel culture. James Ho was the first to do it on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And now Elizabeth Branch, a member of the Atlanta-based 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, said that she would join James Ho distancing herself from the Ivy League school plagued by cancel culture. Federalist Society events there are getting like 100 protesters. They're completely disrupting the events and not allowing people to speak. And this is at a supposed law school where you're supposed to, like it's going to be your job to take opposite positions and argue about it if you want to be a lawyer. So just shutting people down is really stupid and unworthy of, uh, that institution. So I think it's good that these federal judges are pushing back because that will hopefully cause some people to say, hey, what are we doing? If this is going to limit my ability to get these prestigious federal clerkships, which limits my ability to become a Supreme Court clerk, maybe I want to pick Harvard over Yale, even though Harvard is really just as bad as Vivek Ramaswamy uh, points out in this Fox News article about this story. But I, I'm, I'm, happy about that but i also worry about this uh because like you have to wonder if in law school you should be part of like the federalist society which i'm president of the local chapter but is that going to be like a mark against you with these woke law firms and and everything getting more polarized it's really a worrying trend that uh, even lawyers are having trouble accepting that we don't all agree on everything it seems like and wanting to silence people that disagree with them Uh, next up Hijabs. Why burn them? Why get rid of them? Why not? Sell- why sh- we shouldn't celebrate them? That's next on the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show.